Okay, Paul, so this Sunday we make the transition from Epiphany into Lent, for which the lectionary jumps a bit. It doesn't follow chronologically. It takes us directly to the mountain and the story that we know as the Transfiguration. What do you find here? Well, I've, I'm thinking let's forget what actually happened in the Transfiguration because we can't really know. We've got a bunch of metaphors for some uh, mystical experience that we've, we're sort of seeing second or third hand um, the, the, and some kind of an epiphany. What seems to me to be the way to look at it, or a way to look at it, is to use Mark's sandwiching method, as he does in so many places in the gospel, and look what's happening before and what's happening after. And what interests me is that it, both before and after the transfiguration, Jesus speaks about his death and resurrection. In, in chapter 8, uh, he talks about it for the very first time openly. And then he, and he talks about it in chapter 9. And in chapter 8, the response of the disciples through Peter is to take Jesus aside and rebuke him. And so they know what to do and they do it and they tell Jesus that this is not the way, essentially, this is not the way to be the Messiah. If you're the Messiah and you said you were um, and we believe you are, then this is the way Messiahs are and not what this stuff you're talking about, about defeat and death. And then in chapter nine, Jesus talks again about the, his death and resurrection, but this time the disciples say nothing. So something ah. has happened between the two um, experiences of knowing what to say, knowing how to deal with it, being willing to rebuke Jesus, being certain of the way the world works, how it all runs. And then the second part, nothing. They don't know what to say. In fact, it says they were, they were af afraid. And the only thing that's in between is this mystical epiphany that we call the transfiguration. Yeah. Well, that, that's interesting because what struck me about it was Jesus' initiative in the transfiguration. I mean, the rest of the gospel stories, you know, it's like an eyewitness account, this happened and this happened and all the rest of it. But this is very deliberate in that Jesus takes the disciples with him. Um, there's a lot of initiative from Jesus in this. It's like, it's almost like I've got something to, to show you. Come with me, guys, because I've got something to show you. Only Peter, James and John, of course. Yeah. Um, and, of course, they don't get a gong because they're better than the rest of the disciples. In fact, uh, they're greater failures than the other disciples themselves. But what you're saying, that sandwiching, that to take the disciples from here to here seems to fit because it looks like whatever happened up there on the mountain, it was a very deliberate action by Jesus. Yeah. And I think if, if, if my thinking is worth following through the being certain and then not being certain, the transfiguration, which we often talk about as being this wonderful experience, is actually a terrible experience because it breaks down all of the certainties about Jesus' uh, plan as we get it as the readers. The, these men don't have it, but we as readers have it. Son of God, deliverer of good news, Messiah, all of these glorious things that Jesus is breaking them down, particularly right here at the center of the gospel, to say all the things you think this is going to be about, it's not about that at all. It's completely different. And they're left um, rudderless at that point. 
Well, of course, what we've got to remember is that uh, we've heard this one before. So um, I wonder what it did evoke in Peter, James and John. I mean, we tend to read this with a view that they might have looked at each other and said, oh, he's doing the transfiguration. Um, yes. <laughs> which, of course, they wouldn't have been. They don't, they don't know what this is. They've got no categories for it. They've never seen it before. And the only thing we can say from the reports we've got was that this was an overwhelming experience in some in some sense. Yeah, which is what why they one of the reasons obviously why they don't say anything and why they they're frightened. Yeah, it must have been extraordinary because the idea that Moses and Elijah would appear in in whatever form they do, um, that doesn't strike me as something comforting. You know, that strikes me as something um, sort of a violent break with the way the world is supposed to be and a kind of um, uh, an upsetting of their experience of here's Jesus who who is um, caring and kind and healing people. And suddenly he's on a par with um, with the great patriarchs, with a, with the kind of ongoing uh, cataclysmic events of being the Hebrew people. It's frightening. Yes. And, and of course, there's a reiteration of the baptism story. So um, one thing we know Mark wants his readers to understand is that this is the same God and spirit that acted in the baptism. Um, again, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Yeah. And, and, of course, the disciples don't. First of all, they're not listening to him when he says... Um, Yep. Uh, when he has to tell Peter to get behind me uh, as Peter rebukes him. Uh, but then they don't listen because following on, um, Jesus has to talk to them about the kingdom being uh, open to the, the poor and the weak, to children. And they're still powering on about who's the greatest, which one's going to be in which position. So they don't even get it after that. It's as if they've had this um, event that, it, that should have shaken the very foundations of the way the world is supposed to work. And they kind of shrug it off and get back to um, to ordering the world the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. So um, you're going to call the transfiguration an event which led to the shattering of categories or um, the shaking of understandings. It's pivotal in everything the disciples thought they knew they don't actually know. I think so, yes, because I, I think I'm more and more this time of going through Mark um, re referring to verse chapter 1, verse 1, and, and these enormous statements that are being made, and, and they're statements that everyone understood. The story of the Messiah was clearly understood, I think, from what I've read in the first century, the a Messiah will come and save Israel. The, the idea of son of God was very clearly understood as uh, referring to the emperor or referring to the, the great kings of, of Israel in the ancient days. And the, these are well understood statements. Jesus uses or Mark uses them about Jesus. And then the rest of the gospel seems to be a kind of breaking down that it's they're all going to be true, but they're all going to be quite different. Yeah. So in the Transfiguration, we have an event for which there is no categories yeah. to describe an understanding for which there are no categories. Wow, yeah, that's, that's 
that's really well put. I, I don't know how you preach a sermon out of that, but <laughs> I think, yeah, I think that's that seems to me to be really central. Yeah. Well, that that is one of the only understandings of the transfiguration transfiguration I've ever had that made any sense. Um, the fact that it doesn't make any sense in our human categories. It's, it's, it's an exceptional event. It's an event that establishes Jesus in a new and even new authoritative way. Um, and if your links are correct, it's an event that makes a huge difference in the life of the disciples. Yes, and we could translate it to us in that, you know, the idea of an epiphany, the kind of out-of-the-world experience of the ordinary um, you know, James uh, Joyce, who's very keen on the uh, on the epiphany, said, you know, it, it's the it's an understanding of the whatness of things, a kind of an into an insight into the the deep reality of things, which which the transfiguration clearly was with the idea of the patriarchs. But the understanding isn't just to be sort of allied to everything else we know. So if you have an epiphany experience, it's not to be just understood as more of the same or as a kind of um, a blessing on the way your world is and your life is. It's a, a deep uh, upsetting and reconnecting of what the meaning of life is, I, I think. And so how do we uh, have an epiphany? Because one of the interesting things is that, you know, what do you do when you have an epiphany? Well, what did Jesus tell them to do at the transfiguration? Tell them to do nothing. Don't talk to anyone. And at least not for now, you know, leave that to later. Don't, just don't do anything. Maybe our idea with an epiphany is just to sit with it and let it kind of marinate us as we try and experience what we've experienced. Yeah. Sort of come out rather than fixing it or sorting it out or categorizing it. Knowing all the while that we can't stay here. This yeah. is an experience which is now, but yeah. soon it's going to be gone. Yeah. So we might conclude then, Paul, because I reckon we're at our time oh, yeah. Yeah. that this. This is an event we don't understand, an event we can't explain, but an event from which we can never emerge as we were. Wow. That's great. That's a really good point to stop. Thanks. <laughs>